Well, good morning, everyone. This morning, we are going to conclude our study in the book of Ephesians. This has been a a four-part series, and Pastor John last week spoke about the fact that we are chosen for uh, godly relationships in the body of Christ. And uh, today, our focus as we look at the latter part of Ephesians chapter 6, will be that we are chosen to fight. We are chosen to do battle with Satan. And Paul's letter uh, gives us a great deal of uh, information in terms of how we can uh, face and overcome Satan. But there's something that we want to keep in mind as we think about the idea of uh, fighting with Satan. First of all, spiritual warfare is real. We all face a common enemy that we refer to as Satan uh, or as the devil. And he has a number uh, of demons that uh, do his work. And we know from scripture that he's very crafty. He's uh, shrewd. He knows the word of God better than we do. He's strong, he's powerful, he's a formidable adversary whose aim is to destroy the souls of men, but in Christ, he is defeated. Before we look at what Paul says to the church, we want to establish first that in Christ, before Satan ever lifts a finger against us, he has already lost the fight. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6 in a moment, but turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Then jump down to verse 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a great word of encouragement for all of us when we think about fighting with the devil. If God is for us, who can be against us, he says. In other words, because God is with us, because he is for us, we are strong enough to defeat anything that the enemy might bring against us. We have everything that we need in order to be victorious over Satan. It's like if... I wanted to play a pickup basketball game with any member of this church. Any two people in this church, I would invite to face me in a pickup game, and my teammate is Steph Curry. (laughs) Guess who's going to win? I don't have a doubt that I could play any two people in this church with Steph Curry on my team And with Steph Curry on my team, I will win every single game. In fact, I won't even take a shot. (laughs) I wouldn't even take a shot. Every time I got the ball, I may not even dribble. I would just pass it to Steph 
let him shoot every single time and I could face anyone in this church and confidently I would predict that I would win that game. We would win that game. Why? Because Steph Curry is my team. The same would be true for anyone, any two people in Mountain View, any two people on the peninsula, any two people in the Bay Area for that matter. If Steph Curry is on my team, we're going to win. And that's the way it is with God. Because God is on our team, because God is for us, there's nothing that the enemy can do against us. We are on the winning team, and he's already defeated. Why? Because he loves us. That passage says that he gave his son when he had to solve our problem with sin. He left nothing off the table, and he gave his son... uh, in exchange for our salvation. And so it's through the love that our Father has for us that we can say with confidence that there's nothing that he can do to come against us uh, with any victory. So go back to Ephesians chapter 6. So we want to keep that in mind as we walk through uh, these chapters from verses 10 through 18. First of all, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So the first thing that we want to recognize is the strong encouragement that Paul gives us to be strong in the Lord and to stand firm. He talks about in verse 10, And at the end of verse 13 and at the beginning of verse 14, he tells us to stand firm. And this is a word of exhortation, of encouragement for us to be courageous, to know that we can stand firm when Satan and demons come against us. It's because God has given us everything that we need uh, to overcome him. In verse 11, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We want to recognize the schemes of the devil. If we are facing an opponent, it helps us to know what their tactics are, what their strategy is, what their weaknesses and strengths are, so that we can uh, do battle or compete against our adversary. Knowledge is always powerful and always helps us in our battles. And so I want to look at a couple of examples from Scripture. And there's many in Scripture that tell us what the schemes of the devil are. Look with me at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We see one way in which the devil seeks to influence us. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, God has created man, he's created woman, and he's given them very clear instruction uh, in the garden that they can eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the two become one at the end, uh, at the end of chapter 2, and then at the beginning of chapter 3, guess who shows up? The serpent does. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent is more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So one of the schemes of the devil is he gets us to question 
God's word, God's instruction to us. And we want to recognize that anytime we begin to question God's word, we can be assured that Satan is coming against us. And I've heard people question whether or not they should stay married uh, to their spouse. I've heard people talk about whether or not they should forgive someone, whether or not it's appropriate given all the things that someone has done against me that I should turn around and love my enemies. If God's word says it, to simply walk in obedience and say, yes, Lord, give me the strength, give me the grace to follow what your word commands. But anytime we began to question that and let those doubts lead us in a direction away from God's word and from his will, we can be sure that in that moment, the day of evil has visited us. Another example, this is from the first book of the Bible, turn to Revelation, the last book. Revelation 12, verse 10. Revelation twelve ten says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. Another scheme of the devil is he loves to use us to accuse one another, to accuse um, our friends, members of our family, uh, our spouses. He wants to use us to accuse one another. And when he does that, he wants to bring a wedge into that relationship and take what starts off as a foothold and turn it into uh, a stronghold. In the life of Jesus, we know that when he was baptized, uh, the Holy Spirit sent him out into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by uh, the devil. And he was there for 40 days. He did not eat anything. And when we talk about themes of the devil, another scheme that he has, imagine what Jesus felt like physically after that 40 days in the wilderness. He wasn't tempted during those 40 days. It was after those 40 days where he fasted, did not eat anything, and physically he was very weak. And another scheme of the devil is he likes to tempt us when we're weak, when we're weak physically, when we're weak emotionally, when we're weak uh, and uh, in doubt, even spiritually. He wants to come and bother us. And so these are just three examples of how Satan seeks to come against us. And if we can recognize them, we can uh, fight much more effectively against him than if we don't know what his schemes are. So if you go back to Ephesians 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Another thing we want to keep in mind is that based on what Paul is saying here, we should never fight with people. We should never fight with people. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against human beings. And we are deceived if we think that another human being is the person that we should be fighting with. Satan is at work and he wants us to fight with human beings because when we fight with human beings, guess what? He wins. He divides us. He causes all kinds of havoc. And that's exactly what he wants to do. 
And so in the context of marriage, for example, we should always remember that our spouse is not our enemy. Our spouse is not our enemy. Our husband is not, wives, your husband is not your enemy. Husbands, your wife is not your enemy. Both of you face a common enemy. And because you're in marriage, you're already in a covenant relationship God endorses. And so just like we saw in Genesis 3, Satan wants to show up and do everything he can to drive a wedge in that relationship. But we have to remember that in those moments where we are tempted to become angry, we've got to remember, no, I can't do that. My enemy is not my wife. My enemy is not my husband face a common enemy and we need to pray and come against that enemy. There's a spiritual world that is invisible to us. All of us live in the physical world and we see this physical world that we exist in every single day and it's comfortable for us because we can see it. But the reality is there's a spiritual world that's invisible and uh, it's a world of darkness uh, as the passage says, wickedness that we can't see. And this is where Satan lives and dwells. And it's in that world that we can't fight with uh, human weapons. Look at uh, Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 10. In this spiritual realm where Satan and his demons dwell, we can fight with human weapons in the physical world, but we can't do it in this spiritual world. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Second Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of of fortresses. So Paul says that although we walk in the flesh, although we're human beings, we do not war according to the flesh. We do not war with uh, human weapons. Uh, for our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh. They're not human, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Satan is seeking to set up fortresses whether it's fortresses in our personal private life, whether there's some area of our life in bondage, whether it's fortresses in our homes, in our marriages, uh, in our places of employment. He wants to set up fortresses there. And we can't fight Satan with human weapons, with uh, knives and tasers and things like that. We need spiritual weapons. Uh, and it's these spiritual weapons that will destroy the fortresses that uh, he is seeking to set up. And so going back to Ephesians 6, in verse 13, he starts to get into the armor of God. And we won't talk about the, the, uh, the pieces of armor and the metaphor that he uses. I want our focus to be on how these things that he talks about can help us overcome uh, Satan. And so he says in verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having everything to stand firm. And so we know that 
The strategy that Satan has in fighting against us is to tempt us. And when you read in scripture, that word tempt or temptation is often connected with uh, the activity of the devil. And so that's his method of fighting. He wants uh, to tempt us to sin, to fall away from God's will for our lives. Our strategy, according to what Paul writes here, is that we, when he seeks to tempt us, we want to resist uh, Satan's activities. We want to resist him when he tempts us. Remember, we're not trying to fight with Satan. We simply want to overcome him when uh, he visits us, when he uh, tempts us. And I grew up on a street uh, that had a, a dead end. It wasn't a cul-de-sac. It was a dead end street. And me and my friends would often uh, play softball or baseball or wiffle ball. And at the end of the street, there was a, a guardrail. And then behind that was a field uh, that led to some trees, a wooded area. And at the end of the street, there were two houses, one on the left, one on the right. And both owners had dogs. And, uh, and these were some mean, vicious dogs. One of them was named Trouble on the left, and the other was named Duchess. I kid you not. Trouble and Duchess. I still remember these dogs and what they look like to this day. And we would be playing ball going the opposite direction, away from the dead end. But every now and then, a ball would be thrown and got away from us and went to the end of the street. And so that meant that we had to go to the end of the street to retrieve the ball. And so many times... We would run down there, grab the ball, and as soon as the dogs, one of the dogs saw us, they would start to chase us. And the owners would often leave those dogs unleashed. And so we're running up the street as fast as we can away from these dogs because we didn't want to get bitten. And so they had us running away from them. But one day, we boys got tired of running from these dogs when the ball would go to the end of the street. And so I went into my house and I asked my dad if it would help us. I said, Dad, the ball is at the end of the street. And instead of running down to the end of the street, my dad went to the garage and he got a bottle and he put some ammonia in it. And he went down to the end of the street. And when the dogs came, guess what? He was able to withstand these dogs. That's what it means to resist. These dogs came and he squirted them. And they barked, and eventually they turned around and left, and my dad picked up the ball, and he walked back up the street and handed it to us. And so it's a wonderful illustration of how we and ourselves can't fight against uh, Satan. We have to turn to our father and say, Dad, I need some help. And he has given us everything that we need, and we'll read about in just a moment, in order for us not to defeat Satan, because he's already defeated, but to overcome him, to resist him, to withstand him when that time of temptation comes. And so the first thing that he talks about in verse 14 is truth. Verse 14 of Ephesians 6 says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. We must be brothers and sisters who love God's word, who love truth, because it's God's word that will protect us when Satan seeks to come against us. 
So we want to know God's word. And more than that, we want to obey God's word. It's not enough for us to know God's word and not live in obedience to it because there's no protection there. If we know God's word, but we don't follow God's word, then guess what? We can be deceived. And that's exactly what Satan wants. We want to know God's word, live in obedience to God's word. And when we do that, we are uh, protected. And that's what armor seeks to accomplish uh, in uh, a military context. Um, We want to be protected from the enemy. And so truth does that. To be a lover of truth and one who seeks to obey the doctrines of truth uh, found in the Gospels is a protection uh, for us. So that's the first piece of armor. There's seven of them. That's the first. The second one, verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. And number two, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, all of us have, none of us can stand in front of Satan for sure in our own righteousness. That's like approaching Satan uh, without uh, a breastplate. We need to stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness has been imputed to us and uh, it's been given to us. We stand not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ when we do battle with uh, demonic activity. Uh, But more than that, more than the righteousness that's been imputed in our lives, we also want to be people who live righteousness. And what that simply means is, as far as we know, we are living in right standing with God and with other people. And so we want to make sure that as we seek to live lives lives of righteousness, that our conscience is clear. Because when our conscience is clear, then we know that there's nothing that Satan uh, can do uh, to bother us. But when there's sin in our lives, when our conscience is not clear and sin troubles us, then guess what? Satan has a foothold. If there's an area of sin, uh, if there's an area of our lives where we're practicing sin and we've become comfortable in that practice then Satan has a foothold that he wants to turn into a stronghold in that particular area of our lives. And so the solution to that uh, problem is to simply say, Lord, I repent of this area of sin. I forsake it. I pray in Jesus' name that you would cleanse me, that you would forgive me, that you would uh, set me right. And when we do that, guess what? We close that door that was open when we were practicing sin. And we protect ourselves from uh, the work of the enemy in our lives. And so we thank God and we thank uh, Jesus for the fact that we stand in his righteousness, but we also want to be people who seek to live a righteous life uh, each day. Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, I've read this for uh, many times before, and I never quite understood how this was a protective uh, of armor when you talk about uh, fighting with Satan. But when you think about it, the gospel of peace is the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives us peace with God. And he says that we want to be ready to share this gospel of peace with other people. And so you can be in a situation where, for example, you've been uh, diagnosed with some uh, problem physically, and the result is that you're hospitalized. 
and you spend one or two weeks, you go through a number of procedures, and, uh, and you're kind of, uh, not isolated, but impaired for a time. But during that time where you're disabled and unable to do the things that you normally do, guess what? There are medical staff and others who work in that facility, and, and the Lord may present to you an opportunity where you can share your faith in Jesus with those persons. And I've heard of people who've taken opportunities like that to share their faith with nurses or doctors or people who are cleaning um, the room. And it's a wonderful witness of our faith, especially in that kind of circumstance. And we never know how Jesus, how the Holy Spirit will take what we say and what we share with others to plant uh, seeds of faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we do that, again, that provides protection for us. It's a way for us to go on the offense. We want to be ready to share our faith and not let Satan think that because of our circumstances, we're going to be discouraged and doubtful and all of that. We want to be ready to share the gospel of peace uh, with others and not let Satan think that he can use our circumstances to dampen our faith in the Lord. Verse 16 says, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we all have a shield of faith. And when Satan sends those arrows of circumstances in our lives, those flaming arrows, it's our faith that provides additional protection for us. And so when those circumstances, such as losing a job, come, the temptation, remember the temptation that uh, Satan tempts us with is to get discouraged and to wonder, uh, to become fearful and wonder, oh my God, how am I pay my bills and, uh, and do this and do that. And, uh, but we don't want to allow uh, that course of thinking uh, to take place. We want to be people of faith and trust that God, as he's closed that door, he will open another door of employment for us. When the, when the flaming arrow of a bad health report comes into our lives, we trust God for healing and we don't focus and dwell on that bad report. Uh, my sister, just a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, about a week and a half ago, she went to the doctor for a cough that uh, she had had for a couple of months that wouldn't go away. And they did a quick uh, x-ray of her chest and uh, her family doctor looked at it and said, everything looks okay. There's a little spot here, but I'm sure that's, you know, no big issue. I'll send it to radiologists and they'll give you a call if it's anything major. And within an hour, my sister got a phone call from the radiologist saying that uh, we see something that's of concern to us. Can you come back to the office? Long story short, she had a number of spots uh, on this x-ray and on the uh, subsequent CT scan. She didn't expect that. She thought she had a cough that they could give antibiotics for, would be treated, and she'd be okay. Uh, uh, but given that report, now she's stricken with fear and, uh, and wondering what's going on. And all of us, when we get reports like that, it's normative for us to, to be afraid at first because it catches us off guard and, and overwhelms us initially. But as quickly as possible, we want to get back to standing on our faith so that 
um, we can tell Satan and show him that we're going to trust God in this situation to bring healing and health into our bodies. And there's all kinds of life circumstances that uh, come to us and Satan is at work trying to discourage us and sow seeds of doubt and fear and, and trouble and all those negative emotions. But we want to replace those negative emotions with faith and let our faith be a shield that provides additional protection. Verse 17, and the helmet of salvation is the next piece of armor that he says. Turn with me for another parallel passage to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse eight. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So our helmet, this passage says, is the hope of our salvation. It's talking about our future salvation, meaning that Jesus is coming back and he's, he's coming back and he's taking us to be with him at some point in the future. And we want that hope of that future salvation to strengthen us in a time of temptation. Three days a week, I go to the YMA at six in the morning to take a spin class. I've been doing this for the last months. And I love this spin class because it's got me in, in, in the kind of shape that I was in back in my 20s. And, um, and so I show up and there's two things that are absolutely essential for a spin class. You need a towel and a bottle of water. If you don't have a towel or a bottle of water, you're going to have a difficult time in a spin class. And, uh, and so I show up and Carol, our instructor, uh, starts to warm us up, and within about five to seven minutes, she starts to give all of these instructions. There's a little knob on the bike that, as you turn one direction, it increases the resistance. And Carol, while all the music is playing, Carol is screaming out, quarter turn uh, to the left, quarter turn to the left, every 15 to 20 seconds. And before you know it, you can barely pedal and the heart is racing, and then she tells you to stand up to position two, stand up to position three, uh, sit back, do this, do that. And by about 6.30, every single morning when I take this class, I feel like I'm about to collapse. And I'm thinking, I can't do this anymore. My heart is racing. I'm sweating like crazy. I'm drinking water. I'm squirting water in my face accidentally because I can't hold the, the bottle right. And my thighs are throbbing, and I feel like I can't do this anymore. But I kid you not, at that moment, at about 6.30, guess what takes over? Hope. <laughs> and hope is the expectation that something will happen. And I know that at 6.30, my hope is that this will soon end in another half hour. And it's the hope of 7 o'clock that gives me the strength to weather the conditions that I'm feeling at city. And it's true. Every single morning, as I get close to 640, 645, it's like, 
I only have a few more minutes of this, and it's the hope that this class is going to end at the top of the hour that fuels me for that last half hour. And that's what we want to feel when we are doing battle with Satan, that this too shall not last. This too shall end. That whatever circumstance, whatever situation we're facing, not only will it end, but the hope of our salvation gives us comfort that it's not going to be this way always. God has given us the things that we need to fight, but at some point this is all going to end and we're going to, we're going to come into the presence of God. And, uh, and that's a great word of encouragement. And so the helmet of salvation is the hope of our future salvation. And in verse 17, also says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This Bible is a sword, a spiritual weapon that our father has given all of us to do battle with the devil. And we want to look at it as such, as a sword, because that's what Paul says. This is a, uh, a spiritual weapon that uh, we can use uh, to fight against Satan in the same way that Jesus did when he was being tempted himself by Satan. You remember after he was baptized, he tempted uh, three different times by Satan. And Satan quoted scripture. And what did Jesus do? He responded by quoting scripture uh, himself. And at the end of those three uh, times where he was tempted, the Bible says Satan left. He could do against Jesus. Jesus didn't uh, pull out a physical sword. He didn't take a, uh, a club or a bat or any kind of physical weapon. He fought Satan by quoting the word of God, even though Satan was using uh, the word of God to tempt Jesus. And so we have a great uh, weapon, a great sword that can help us only if we know it. It's in those moments where we are being tempted that we want to know what scripture uh, says. And if we know it, then the Holy Spirit will bring that to our memory so that we can tell Satan. Uh, we can quote scripture in the same way that Jesus uh, quoted scripture. So when we're facing a trial, we can remind Satan of what 1 Corinthians ten thirteen says. No temptation can overtake me, for God is faithful. He will not allow me to be tempted beyond my ability. We can tell that to Satan in the moment of temptation when we're facing a trial. Or when the devil wants to beat up on us and get us to think and believe that we are not saved as Christians, we can say what Jesus said in John 6.37. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So we want to use God's word in order to uh, deal with Satan. And we want to think of this as uh, a sword with uh, hundreds of uh, spiritual swords, if you will, uh, to do battle with the devil. I remember uh, a few years ago, a guest speaker uh, came to the back office to preach here on a Sunday afternoon, and he came to the door without his Bible, and his expression was, oh, I left my sword, went back to the Bible to grab what he re referred to as his sword. And that really ministered to me. He didn't call it a Bible. He literally saw it as his sword. 
And, uh, and it was a great witness of the power that God, God's word has in dealing with demonic forces. And then finally, in verse 18, Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And so finally, the seventh and final piece of the armor that God has given us to fight against Satan is to pray in the spirit. And praying in the spirit is different than praying in the flesh. To pray in the flesh is to pray self-centered prayers. And we are self-centered by nature, and that's why the scripture tells us that we have to die to self if we are to live and do God's will. Our self-will is the enemy of uh, us living the will that God has called us to. And so we have to die to self. And uh, praying, uh, praying in the flesh is to pray uh, very self-centered prayers, but to pray in the spirit is to pray God-centered prayers. And when you look at the way the apostle Paul prayed, uh, you know, all of us should pray according to our needs. Um, you know, if the need that we have, we should pray, as scripture tells us to, about uh, the needs that we have and the concerns that we have. But too often as believers, our prayers are very heavy on the self-focus and very light on the God-focus. And we want to bring that into balance. And, uh, and you look at someone like the Apostle Paul. I'm sure he prayed for his needs. But what we find in Scripture are very God-centered prayers. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, uh, he says, I pray that God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a suit of wisdom and of revelation. And he goes on in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. These are very God-centered prayers. He's praying for uh, other believers. And, uh, and that's what we are also called to do, to pray for ourselves, uh, but to also pray for uh, other believers in the spirit. And so the devil is a very uh, powerful enemy, but through... Jesus Christ has already defeated uh, this enemy. And so when he shows up uh, to deal with us and trouble us and try to get us away from God, uh, we simply want to take the things that he's given us in Scripture in order to resist uh, his activity. And the Bible says, uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you, cur to God, and he will come nearer to you. Praise the Lord.